Welcome to 22 Motivational Minutes with Marlo, our brand performance podcast, where we connect and collaborate with other self-sustaining entrepreneurs, authors, and experts. Hi, I'm Marlo Higgins, your Chief Inspirational Officer. I like to say when we perform, we get paid. This podcast focuses on the areas of confidence, mindset, leadership, and performance, which all lead to increased revenues and sales. As your Chief Inspirational Officer, I'm focused on the development of people by unearthing their values, talents, and self-worth, otherwise known as that self-esteem factor. People matter, self-worth matters, time matters. When it all aligns, everything works. Welcome to this week's episode of 22 Motivational Minutes with Marlo, and this is our brand performance podcast. And we like to talk to fascinating people, published authors, experts, and really around the form of performance. I mean, that's really the undertone because when we're trying to be sustainable and profitable, it's really understanding, you know, as experts and people that have that experience, what their story is, what got them there, and that's where this conversation is. And so I am so excited. Alan Lazarus and I are going to be going deep into great conversation. Number one, it's going to start with your story. So Alan, thank you so much for joining us on this week's, this week's podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I hope I can add some massive value. And when it comes to peak performance and success, it's definitely a huge core value of mine. So I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, I think that's where the synergy is. And I know that's where people are going to pick up on this episode. So Alan, you come to us as you know, through the hyperconscious podcast, right? That's, that's somewhat of your platform. But before we jump into that, you know, give us your bio and your background. So it's more than just your name, give us your story. Who is Alan and, and take us to a very pivotal story. Okay, so I will try to give you the medium version, not the short version or the long version. I'll try to give you the medium version. So when I was, it all kind of starts very, very early on. So when I was two years old, uh, my father passed away in a car accident and I lost something very near and dear to coming into life, uh, having both a masculine and a feminine person raise you. But I also gained something else, which is I had an older sister Um, And she raised me. So I was raised by two women, which in hindsight has actually become quite a a miracle in a lot of ways. So, and there's another gift in particular that brought me and it was, it was my reverence for life, realizing from a very emotional level, like what it could, that it could end. Because a lot of us, there's one of my favorite books by Lucius Seneca. He, it's called On Shortness of Life. He says, we act immortal in all that we fear or mortal in all that we fear and immortal in all that we desire. And I think one of the things that I want to start this out with is when I realized this, it, it, it kind of changed everything for me. And it was this, if you take 365 days a year, and if you're fortunate enough to live a hundred years on this planet, that's 36,500 days. And if you only ever had $36,500 in your bank account and you could never spend, or uh, you could never make another dollar rather, how carefully would you spend that money? And so one of the things that I've realized from a very young age is that we waste time um, on a lot of things that don't bring a lot of value. That To me, peak performance is about what can I invest my time, energy, and money into based on what's most valuable to me in the long run. And that's how you live an extraordinary life. So basically, when I was eight years old, my mom and I were driving past WPI. It's a school, they call it like the mini MIT. It's a big engineering school in New England. And my mom said, Alan, really smart people go there. Your uncle is the track and field coach there. You're really smart. You should go there one day. 
So I didn't realize this at the time, but she planted a seed in me of a dream. And it's actually funny. My, my uncle is now named after the track and field still, but um, he had, he had actually since passed. But after that, my mom encouraged me to be very academic. So she was the third child and she was had when her parents were 45. So they, and her older sister is 17 years older than her. So, right. They had no idea they were going to have a third child. And so I don't want to say they were done with the whole parenting thing, but it was a little bit of a different dynamic because they were in a different phase of life. And my mom was very beautiful. And they back then thought, okay, she'll get married. She'll have kids and she'll, she'll be fine. And she'll have choices. My mom didn't expect, obviously my father to pass away. So the one thing that she wished she could go back and do is take her academics more seriously so that she would have choice in her career. Um, because when my father passed away, she had to do whatever she could to survive and raise two kids on her own. And so, um, she always taught me, Alan, and this was the analogy she used. She always tried to explain to me, my, my sister and I still joke, like she would always lecture us rather than punish us. And so that was kind of our punishment. She would try to, ex- she wouldn't just punish us. She would explain why we were getting in trouble. And now it's funny, the hyperconscious podcast is about understanding the why behind everything and being acutely aware. That's what hyperconscious means. It means acutely aware. And so um, she taught me this. She said, Alan, you can be a CEO or you can be a farmer. I'm going to love you either way. But if you're a CEO, you can just wake up one day and decide to go be a farmer, but you can't do it the other way around. So aim really high and then you'll have choices. Life is about choices. So that is the greatest gift she could have ever given me from a very young age. And what's crazy is she actually let me take middle school, eighth grade off. She said, Alan, if you promise me you do awesome in high school, I'm going to let you take eighth grade off. If you look at my report cards, the only times I ever got C's and B's ever was in eighth grade. And I actually think I got a D, my only D ever. And then I went into the high school and I got the presence award, which means you never get below a 95 GPA for any report card ever. Um, so I graduated eighth in my class. I got tons of awards and I went to WPI. I got into WPI, which she helped me with too. Um, she helped me write my essay. I remember it being like 1 a.m. She helped me with that. So she's always been the wind. Okay. So when you were eight and she had set that, you know, set that example, do you think she consciously was doing that? Honestly, I don't know. Um, I think, no, I think her subconscious, I think her intuition was saying, I want my kids to have choices because I didn't. And I think she was just trusting that. Um, she's always been just an cr- incredible mother when it comes to believing in me and getting me to believe in myself. And then I remember I would go to friends' houses and I would sleep over there and stuff. And I always wondered to myself why some parents would unintentionally like take the wind out of people's sails. So uh, I have a buddy, his name's Kiki. I grew up with him. And I remember we were around the table, I think we were like 12. And we were talking about starting a company. It was going to be called LazCore. His name's Keith Corden. My name's Alan Lazarus. So it was going to be LazCore. And it was going to be a video game company. We were going to create a video game called Musket, the American Revolution. And it was going to be this whole first person, third person shooter thing. I remember her talking with us about this at the table, just kind of letting us brainstorm. And now as an adult looking back, it's like a lot of people would have said like, that's not possible. You got to be a, get a safe job. You got So in hindsight, it's just really cool how I've realized that self-belief is such an important thing as an adult, especially. And I had that instilled from a very young age. And so now one of my main things is getting someone to believe in their own brighter future so that they chase it because of what they'll become and what they'll give. So fast forward, WPI went well, I got my engineering degree, then I got my master's in marketing. 
Um, I job hopped in corporate America quite a bit. I started a company called Campus Libre and I did all this different stuff. I did a lot of soul searching. Now, fast forward to, I'm 26 years old. At this point, I've already worked in global product management. I've worked as an engineer. I've worked in inside sales, then outside sales, a bunch of different companies all around New England. I also worked in LA for a time as well, which was a whole thing, but I'm 26 years old and I'm in New Hampshire with my little cousin and I'm going to TGI Fridays. It's just some random night and it was like a dark winter night. I remember it was this really bad winter. I think it was 2015 or 2016, but it was a really bad winter where like the signs had the snow like all the way piled up to them. This is New Hampshire again. So and there was tons of potholes. I remember this was a really bad winter. And the road stayed right. I thought it stayed left. So I stayed left looking at the GPS because I didn't know where I was. There was actually a yield sign that I didn't see. And I found myself, I looked up and I found myself on the wrong side of the road. And there was a lift kitted truck with the brightest lights I'd ever seen. And that was a moment for me where I was like, like, I thought that was the end. Now, I had gotten in car accidents before, but never like that. My little cousin was only 17 at the time, and he still had that sort of invincibility complex. He was tweeting about it afterwards. Um, fortunately, I was in a Volkswagen Passat. It was 2004, and it was like steel trap. And it was like a really heavy car. I used to actually call it the tank. Both airbags did deploy, and I hurt my face a bit. He hurt his left knee, I believe, but overall, we were fine. We were okay. But for me, that really messed with me because, again, circle back, my dad passed away at 28 in a car accident. And I, in 26 at the time, I remember drinking whiskey in an armchair, questioning everything. Questioning, this was my wake-up call. This was when I started to really wonder, like, what if that was it? Would I have been proud of the man that I had become? And now I give my speeches on this. It's, it's like, I really, it really came down to two things for me, two primary things. How courageously did I fight for what I believe in? And then how fiercely did I love? How fiercely, openly, and honestly did I love? Now, one of the sayings that I've come to live by is you cannot see the stars during the day. They're always there, but sometimes it takes the darkness to see clearly that which we simply couldn't within the light. So when you're in emotional pain and you're questioning everything, whether it's the death of a loved one, the death of a pet, a near-death experience, a near-death illness, all of a sudden you see things very differently. And now time becomes more valuable than all the other nonsense that we seem to get so consumed by. And so for me, I found a book by Bronnie Ware called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And I actually have a flashcard in my pocket right now with all five regrets. Now, Bronnie Ware, I've actually since interviewed her on my podcast, which is so cool. And this is years later. This is four and a half years later. I got to interview her and I was like a kid in the candy store. It was so cool. But because <laughs> <laughs> she was like my hero. She saved my life in a lot of ways. And um, so the number one regret of the dying, she worked in hospice for eight years and she was taking care of the terminally ill. And her job was to like take care of them on the day to day. But what she realized was her real job was to listen to them express themselves. And they all said, I wish, I wish, I wish. They were reflecting on their lives, like saying they wish they had lived differently. And now I call it reverse engineering regret. And so the number one regret of the dying was I wish I had lived a life true to myself and not what others expected of me. Number two regret of the dying was I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Number three was I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Number four was I wish I had the courage to express my true feelings. That's a big one. And then number five was I wish I had let myself be happier. She has a TED Talk for anyone out there. 
I really highly recommend either reading the book or the TED talk because she talks right up front. She says, one day you are going to die. So am I. We all are at some point. Let's live life in a way where at the end, we will be proud of who we've become and how we've lived. And it's funny because now my girlfriend and I actually started this new journaling habit. And this is my co-host, Kevin Palmieri's um, idea, believe it or not. I wish I had thought of it. But every single night now, what I'm doing is I'm reverse engineering regret. So I'm going through each regret and I'm rating myself from zero to 10 on how congruently I lived with it. And then one thing to be more effective tomorrow. There's only one caveat to this. I got to ask Bronnie Ware on the show because the, the second one always bothered me. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And I thought to myself, maybe that's because of number one, though. Because if they were living a life true to themselves, they would love hard work like I do. Because I'm very obsessed with hard work. Like I, I really think it's awesome as long as you're working on the right things. So now in my journaling habit, I say, I wish I had lived the life. Uh, or the first one is, I wish I had lived the life true to myself, not what others expected of me. The second one is, I wish I had. I hadn't worked so hard on the wrong things. Ooh, right. And so I got to ask Bronnie on air, Bronnie, not to impose on your work, like this is your work, but <laughs> I had this thought for the last four and a half years. What do you think? And she kind of confirmed like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like if they had lived the life true themselves, maybe they wouldn't have regretted working so hard. Right. Um, so that's how I live my life now. And that's kind of the message I want to bring to people is we're all going to go through emotional pain in life. Um, losing my father, not having a father, um, some difficulties with alcohol growing up in my environment. Um, and that was one of the things that I was least proud of when I looked back after that car accident. It was, I looked back at what bothered me most was I feel like I had squandered my potential a lot. Uh, I definitely have a powerful mind and I've been given a lot of opportunities uh, I have great education and I, I just feel like I wasn't using it for good. I was working for an industrial automation company and I was selling industrial automation equipment into factories where the more money I made, the less jobs there were for less educated people. And that really ate at me. And what I was doing was I didn't realize this at the time, but I was drinking because it was bothering me. So I would go into these factories and I would see these pictures on the wall of all these factory workers and like in the nineties and eighties and seventies of like the whole factory was like full of workers. And now if you go into factories, you know, I'm not going to name any car companies, but like they're all robots now. All right. Of, right. Yeah, and automation's like two, taken over. It's taking over. And so I saw this huge problem, right? You have the less educated population tends to generalization, but tends to procreate sooner and have more children. Okay. The, more educated tends to wait longer and have fewer children. This is just the statistics. And then you've got service jobs, which are for people who have less education decreasing exponentially because of automation, while you have a population increasing exponentially of people who have lower education. And so I saw this as like a big problem because you have jobs decreasing exponentially, population increasing exponentially. And I saw, oh my God, I know robotics. I worked for iRobot. Like I, this is not going to stop. Okay, this is going to get way worse. And I got to be real. Like, if you don't have very strong skills, you will be automated by computer science. Like, I'm an electrical and computer engineer. It's coming. It's coming for all of us. So now, part of the podcast, why I'm so... My girlfriend asked me one time, what are you most proud of? We have 306 episodes. Every single one of the 306 episodes is about how to be a better human being. And so instead of taking jobs and making money doing it, now I'm empowering people to design the life they want on their own terms and develop the skills to where they're marketable. 
Um, so that's kind of the medium version so story. the people are the <laughs> asset. Well, no, and that's very, very powerful. I mean, that's why I just love just letting you take it because you're so rich and deep in not only the experience that you've had, Alan, but like how you are connecting the dots and having other people see themselves in it. So as, as people are listening to this episode, they're connecting with it. They're they're hearing, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And here's somebody who, for some reason, Alan, you've been given that wise old soul you know, just the the ability through your experiences, you know, you've experienced things that a lot of people can't say that they have, that you didn't just experience them, you leveraged them. That's what I'm hearing. You Thank know, you've you so taken much. it and you've leveraged it. You've not just gone through the motions. You've not said, hey, I've just, I learned a lesson, but this is how I want to leverage it. And that's, I think, where your biggest impact comes from. Thank you so much. That's such an important compliment. And I think that that comes down to, again, when I am in emotional pain, I, I reprocess my life from a higher sense of awareness so that I can invest it again in my future. I, I don't believe in the past is the past, just let it roll. I understand why people say that, but like when you have a new distinction, a new learning, sometimes you have to reprocess your experience so that you can reinvest it in your future. So I remember when I first learned the five love languages mm, and intimate yeah, relationships, big one. all yeah. of a sudden I went back through my life and went, oh, huh, that God. makes sense. Yeah. I was being so ineffective because I was doing the thing that clearly never mattered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so now I'm going to do better next time in yeah. my current intimate relationship. And so I think that's probably why I think it's knowledge plus experience plus reflection equals wisdom. And I, that last piece, the reflection piece is so important. But if you are in emotional pain, a lot of people, instead of reflecting because it's so painful, they'll try to escape it. Um, and I'm guilty of that too. Again, that was alcohol for me. So, Right. And I think, you know, you're self-studied, right? You've created such an awareness about yourself, Alan, through your experiences. And you have such a ferocious connection in how you want other people to, um, to hear, you know, whether you're empowering them through it, through the pain, or you're saying, you know, it's going to happen. And these are the buffers. These are the things that are going to... Um, come for you. Um, I think there's just a lot of substance there. Yeah. Okay. So, so as we come into this space um, of the episode, tips, pointers, I mean, you're, you have high emotional intelligence, right? Um, somebody's listening to this. What is a, what is a tip or a pointer or a takeaway that you want to have them hear from you around what you're sharing and how you would like to empower other people? Yeah. Powerful question. So I do, I have spent the last five years since that car accident, really diving deep, deep, deep into personal development. Um, we've interviewed over a hundred people and I have a lot of mentors and stuff like that. When I'm always trying to, and I don't say that to, to brag in any way, I'm trying to curate what I believe is the most important fundamentals that, that really will help people make real positive change. And there's a couple that keep jumping off the page for me that I feel so congruent to say. So I was actually in the shower earlier and I was just thinking to myself, like what I wanted to bring to the table uh, for your listeners. And one of them was this. So one thing that I've noticed my whole life, people who did know my father, my father was in sales. Everybody loved John. He had 450 people at his funeral and he was like really fun, outgoing guy who, who, um, you know, my mom always says everybody bought from John. He was like the sales guy that, that everybody bought from. And what a coincidence, I end up in sales too. So um, there's that. But 
basically what I noticed is whenever people reminisce about him, especially when I come around because I look so much like him, especially like his side of the family, um, there was six kids. There was Joe, John, Jim, Jane, Joan, Jeanette. So it was six Irish kids, all with those names. And there was three boys and three girls. And so it's a big, that side of the family. And whenever I come around, they all look at me a lot differently because they see him in me. And the stories just naturally start coming up. I keep hearing stories about my dad, like at the golf course and on this. And what I realized is that everybody's talking about how he lived. Almost no one talks about how he died. And that's the distinction. Like how you live is what's going to matter. Not necessarily how or when you die. And so if, if I could give you one golden nugget, it's really figure out. I want you to lower your circle of concern so narrow. To me, it's health, wealth, and love. Health is physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Wealth is how you make your money, how much you make, and then where you spend it. I should invest it. I don't like spend, invest. Okay. And then number three is love, which this list is a little longer. You've got self-love. You've got your intimate relationship. You've got potential children if you have them. You've got your family, mom, dad, sister, brother, that kind of stuff. Then you've got colleagues, clients, mentors, and it extends outward. But it's this bubble that extends outward. And what I there's this book I'm reading right now called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I'm sure you've read it by Stephen oh, Covey. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. such it's a golden. phenomenal book. Yeah, it Every is. Every time I yes. grow to a higher sense of awareness, I go back to certain books and it's like, oh my God, it I'm seeing so much more. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, certain books get worse, some get better. <laughs> right, right. You know, um, as you grow and evolve. But this, he talks about your circle of concern. To me, I'm going to get a little mathy because I'm, I'm an engineer. You've heard of Pareto's principle? Yes. Before? Okay. So Pareto is a scientist in the late 1800s or early 1900s who basically found out that he planted pea plants and only 20% of the plants produced 80% of the peas. And what he found out was this is a universal law. So if you're out there listening right now, if you want to talk about peak performance, this is my bread. This is the thing that I focus on most. 20% of your daily actions are responsible for 80% of your results. And this law happens everywhere. This happens economically. Like, so I read somewhere that 20% of this country consumes 80% of the beer and it, it just keeps happening. I bet you only wear 20% of your wardrobe. <laughs> right. We it's all true. Right. Yeah. 80, 20 law. Yes. So here's the interesting thing about the 80, 20 law, because I'm a numbers guy, I dug deeper into this and I said, what if you take 20% of the 20%, you get 4%. If you take 20% of that 20%, you get 0.8%. To me, I want you to narrow your focus to the 0.8% of life that really matters so that when the end comes, you look back. There's a book called Essentialism that I have in my room. It's always on my person or in my backpack. And it talks about there's, you're going to end up at the end of your life with two different feelings. Either one is going to be, I did a whole bunch of stuff decently well, or I did a few things with absolute magnificence. And so that all comes down to what are your core values? What is your true north? I wear this around my neck. Um, and this is what guides me. I have a purpose prayer that I say every day. Um, and to me, it's like a pyramid. You've got the true north at the top and then you've got your core values on the bottom and the day-to-day -day life is, is in there. And as long as you stay true to your true north and your core values along the way, I think a true north is sort of like a mission, your purpose. And then the core values are the guiding principles to, to help you stay in, in integrity with yourself.
and then you grow towards those persons, places, things, and ideas. And it's interesting because we think we have to focus on doing the thing that we're supposed to be doing. When in reality, I think saying, focusing on what matters, what's essential, is actually saying no to all the other stuff. Because we live in a noisy world and I'm always trying to hone my circle of concern into only the things that I know will matter so much in the end um, and invest my time, energy, and money into the things that really matter most. Well, and that's interesting. So, you know, what I'm relating to that is like with building a brand. I mean, everything we do is pure with intention. And so those two words, purity and intention, it gets rid of the fluff. You know, it's, it goes straight to the heart of the matter. It is the clarity, the granular clarity that is so important because when, you know, you remove all of the other um, sidebars and you just have that, that granular clarity, that's, that's powerful. And then you have full intention right? There's a reason why you do it. And that intention, once it's clear, it becomes a magnet and other people see that within you. So yeah, let me tell you the thing about sales that I picked up from you, my friend. So like you, it. your father, right? Okay. In sales, you're in sales because people know you, they like you, they trust you. And that's where your dad was. He was known, he was liked, and he was trusted. And I think those, uh, you know, that just goes with the natural, the, that sales position. Yeah. So very, very powerful. I really appreciate that. And I love pure intention because like you said, there's so much there. Pure intent means you want good for yourself and others. And then intent implies that you know why you're doing it consciously. And that's so, I think a lot of us are on autopilot. We've forgotten why we do the things we do because it was a pattern we were running 10 years ago and we haven't reanalyzed it. And I think that that's why I love podcasts. It gets people to think like, oh, why am I doing that? Right. Is that still relevant? Or was that because I was 15 and this happened? Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, no, it's so, true. So. <laughs> yeah. And, and you've got that technical as an engineer, you know, you've got the technical mindset. And so you, yeah, you're connecting, but you're, you're high on the emotional intelligence too. And, you know, the one thing I'll say too, is, you know, matching that pure intention, you know, our brand is peaceful, energized, empowered, and loved. Those are the four core feelings that people get when they're in the brand or when they're watching it, whether they're being served, it's very peaceful, it's energized, it's very empowering, and it's love. And all of those things, like that is the core bundle of our pure intentions. And I think it's very clear when you hear that played out in such a way that that's where we get the magnetism because people see it, they feel it, and they just want to be part of it. And like even the podcast guests that we have, Obviously, I'm very pure with this conversation, right? Um, where you intend to share your knowledge and how it empowers other people. So you can hear it. It just all kind of connects the dots. So excellent. Okay, so we're coming into the, the end of the episode. Alan, where can we find you? Where's, where, you know, social, we know that you are the hyperconscious podcast, but give us more where we can find you and engage. So you can find us, and thank you so much. So you can find us on the hyperconsciouspodcast.com. The best place to reach me is on Instagram. That's alazarus88. That's A-L-A-Z-A-R-O-S-8-8. Uh, that's my Instagram handle. But I'm on all of what I call the big six. So Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, and Snapchat. I'm on all six of them. Um, you can reach out on any single one of them. And I will. I do my best to try to get back. I also have an executive assistant who does get back promptly. Um, so please reach out at any time, especially when it comes to the two main strategic priorities I have right now are peak performance business coaching and peak performance fitness coaching. So I'm helping certain people um, scale their businesses through these the 80-20 rule, that 0.8% of stuff that matters most for your specific business 
double, triple down on that and then watch your, your life proliferate. Um, and then fitness too, same deal. It's like, I remember one time my, my ex-girlfriend, she asked me, Alan, what about L-glutamine? And I said, honestly, until you're sleeping right, until you're eating right, until you're hydrating right, you know, until you're training right, and until you're doing mobility and stretching right, don't worry about L-glutamine. Uh, the fitness industry is very focused on the sexy, shiny stuff, when in reality, it's the fundamentals that matter. Um, and that's what I'm all about. So, Excellent. Excellent. All right. And you can also find more about Alan Lazarus on our website, marlohiggins.com, where you can connect his different resources and add him to your circle of influence. Again, Alan, this has been an absolute delight. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I hope everyone took something out of it. Absolutely. And if you enjoyed the episode and it left you feeling inspired, you can share your biggest takeaway on our Perform and Get Paid um, community Facebook page, where we'll engage and respond to any of your questions. And this is Marlo Higgins, your host and Chief Inspirational Officer. Have an awesome rest of your day. Talk soon. As your Chief Inspirational Officer, I coach executives to gain clarity and remove self-doubt to increase performance and sales. Let's continue the conversation. Join me at www.maverickcommunity.com where you can message me directly. Did you like this podcast? If so, subscribe and share with all of your friends. And if you want even more awesome resources to increase revenues and sales, plus personal insights from me that I only share in email, get yourself over to marlohiggins.com and sign up for the email updates. To book a complimentary coaching session with me, simply visit marlohiggins.com and click on the work with me tab to schedule a call. Did you know that we offer a monthly workshop series? Maverick U is for leaders who want to recognize, inspire, and motivate their teams to higher performance. Once again, visit marlohiggins.com to register. Thank you so much for listening and I'll catch you next week on 22 Motivational Minutes with Marlo. If you're into it, subscribe and leave a review. Tell all of your friends we would sure appreciate it.